everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Yo, my crawfish pie Friday has arrived March the 3rd, 603 final show of the week. We got a good one for you to get you geared up for the weekend Four very good guests on tap. We're going to talk Astros. We're going to talk raging Cajuns. We're going to talk Redbird ministries, great charity out there and the golf scramble that's attached to it. We're going to preview Spring football, which, by the way, begins next week. That crept up on you, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. We'll do all that this morning. We'll also preview the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Recap a little bit of the early action. Look ahead to the weekend slate, including the Raging Cajuns as the two seed. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotlines open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And of course, yours truly, the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. I'm joined this morning, as always, by D'Lo, better known as Dawson Iserlo. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. So we got a lot on tap, but we're going to start off today talking about a record that wasn't broken because LSU fan, y'all got very nervous, <laughs> LSU fan got, uh, was very, how do I say this, automatically got defensive about a record many of you never even saw. (laughs) And unless you're somehow related to the Maravich family, I'm not really for sure why you're, we're being all that upset about it. I'm just saying last night, a young man who plays for a school. I didn't even know existed Detroit mercies. Antoine Davis, Finished three points shy of tying Pistol Pete's all-time record for most points scored in an NCAA Division I career. You know, what I'm not going to allow you to continue to do is disrespect these programs that have done their best and have built some things. Look, I, I really former, didn't know. Former really... Raging Cajun Justin Miller transferred Oh, that is Detroit right. That, that, that yep. is, okay, my apologies. That's right. Now, that, I was like, that kind of sounds familiar. But that's okay. That's where Miller transferred for his last year, and then and then the Cajuns ended up playing him in a tournament that next year, coincidentally, and beating him. Oh, that's was, right. Yeah, there we go. See, it's just early in the morning. I just needed to get my brain juices working here. He launched a three pointer on the game clock as time was expiring, but he missed it. He'd been kind of cold all game. The star for Detroit Mercy. And Pete Maravich, scoring mark of 3,667 points, stood as Youngstown State defeated Detroit Mercy 71-66 in the Horizon League Tournament quarterfinal matchup on Thursday. 
Davis, a fifth-year star who entered Thursday's game needing 26 points to surpass Maravich, finished with 22 in the loss. And so it's special for the young man because of their overall record they're more than likely not going to go to a tournament. Now, there has been speculation, even someone like, say, Jeff Goodman has put it out there. Maybe one of these minor tournaments like the CBI or whatever the CIT is these days. Someone may throw it out there just to get publicity by getting Detroit Mercy into the field to give him the opportunity to pass the record, which would cause people to look at it, which would call ESPN to recognize it. So it could be a marketing move. I don't think that's going to happen. They're a team well below 500. And even though he falls short, it's still something worth recognizing. He even even if he doesn't break the record by going to say the CBI, they're 14 and 19 overall, nine and 11. Uh, but the CBI does select teams from the pool schools that don't get picked for the NCAA tournament or the NIT. And a program with a sub-500 record is still eligible. But all CBI entrants must pay an entry fee of $50,000. So you have to pay to be in that tournament. So the young man falls short, right? Pistol Pete's record is saved. That's not really the story here, though. Not for me. Dawson, I'll get your thoughts here as well. I saw a lot, a lot of Tiger fans nervous yesterday on social media, being very vocal about it. And I just don't get it. Yes, Davis from Detroit Mercy would break the record in five years. Yes, he plays in the era with a a shot clock. Yes, he played in far more games to get to the record than Pistol Pete did. Okay, great. So? Like, why does that matter? The young man from Detroit Mercy, if he would have passed Pistol Pete last night, Absolutely, 110% doesn't take anything away from Pistol Pete. It's not going to change the name of the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. It's not going to force LSU to take down Pistol Pete's statue that finally got built the last year and a half. It's not going to stop the hero worship in the state for Pistol Pete. It's not going to have ESPN or the SEC Network or anyone else that's done documentaries and television specials about Pistol Pete from stop airing said specials. None of that changes. None of it changes. Not a lick of it. Not the statue, not the center, not the fandom, not how he's still beloved and thought of as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. None of that would have changed. So why do you care so much? Like, honestly. And I, I use a personal experience here. Technically, 
by the record, Hammer and Hank Aaron, Mobile native, Atlanta Braves legend, baseball Hall of Famer, is technically not the all-time home run champ. Dawson, do you know every time I go to Atlanta the last couple times, you know what I go do? What's that? I go to the spot in the parking lot where the launching pad used to be, Fulton County Stadium. And then afterwards, they built Turner Field. And now Turner Field has been repurposed as a football stadium for Georgia State. And there is the wall where the old marker stood for Hank Aaron's home run ball where he passed Babe Ruth. Do you realize that even though he no longer holds the home run record, do you know I still make a pilgrimage and I still go touch the wall and I still go get my picture taken with the wall and I still take a few minutes there to look at the wall and uh, and honor Hammer and Hank and what he did for my Atlanta Braves and what he did for baseball? You realize Barry Bonds breaking that record has not affected me one bit. Does not prevent me from doing that. Does not prevent me from remembering Hank Aaron and remember him running around the bases and being mobbed by fans when he broke the record. None of that's changed. So why do you care, LSU fan, that a kid from Detroit Mercy of all places was going to possibly tie or break Pistol Pete's record? It is silliness. It is dumb. It is dumb. Just yeah, says. you're not going to get any arguments here. I uh, I thought it was strange the uh, the outcry. They act like this kid like grew up his whole life with this like secret plan he hatched. He's like, I'm going to go to Detroit Mercy. I'm going to take all these shots, and all I want to do is break LSU's record. <laughs> that is from a guy that didn't even graduate from the school. But I just... look, I love Pete Maravich. My dad, his favorite basketball stories are from him as a kid. You know, going to games and watching Pete and how he used to you know manipulate the ball with the crazy passes and stuff like. And I loved hearing about that, and I still go back and watch highlights from it sometimes, and it was awesome. And yeah, no, like, and the thing that the the one that doesn't make sense to me at all is everyone bringing up like how many games he played in the extra COVID year and stuff like that. That doesn't matter. The record isn't a points per game record. Like the points per game record is safe and sound, nowhere near it. But this is a count stat record about how many points the kid amassed in his career. And yeah, he played for five years. Again, they act like he petitioned the NCAA and was like, I want to play again so I can break the record. It was a, you know, we had a global pandemic that led to an extra year of eligibility for athletes. Like, I, he didn't do it. If he would have done it, I don't understand why it would have been a bad thing. I mean, the guy, and then like people were making fun of how many shots he took and stuff like that. He's also like an incredibly efficient scorer. And if you look back at, and if you've watched him play at all and look at some of the numbers, yeah, he did not have his best night. And I did think that the team, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched pieces of it. I felt like Detroit Mercy, as a coaching staff and as a team, was a little bit more worried about the record. They had a chance to win this game, by the way, and beat the one seed. They were leading throughout. Correct. Youngstown State was the one seed. So I felt like they maybe focused a little bit too much on getting him the record because, again, if they'd have won the game, he'd have broken the record easily because they'd have had another game in the conference tournament. And they were winning this game for most of it. So that part of it. But look, like the other thing, too, is... On the same hand of that, it's not like this was completely out of the ordinary. Like, this kid's carried their offense for five years. I mean, he's been their best player for five years. They haven't, unfortunately, they haven't been great other than him for the majority of that time. Um, but, yeah, no, look, I, yeah, Pete Maravich was an incredible player, and he did unbelievable things, and, and a lot of the things he did will never be done again, obviously, with the three-point line and and his efficiency as a scorer and the the amount of points he put up, 44 points a game, whatever it is. 
none of that changes. But yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit strange to be uh, so protective and, of a record that that's it's it's a different. I don't know. And, and you're trying to tear down a kid, and and this is the thing. Once again, it doesn't take away from anything Pistol Pete did. Nothing. Nothing. It, it, it takes away none. And if you think Pistol Pete would be chiming in with the chorus, uh, I, I don't. I, I don't buy that. I, don't, I think you'd be wildly disappointed if you thought that's how that was going to go down. And here's a kid that was a walk-on, by the way. Walk-on at Detroit Mercy and ends up being a five-time first-team All-Horizon League player, the two-time Horizon League player of the year. He was the freshman of the year, all-time Division One leader in career three-pointers. So this is a kid that went from walk-on to a great player for his college, didn't transfer in the air of the NCAA transfer portal. Did he leave? No, he stayed. He stayed at the place, so he showed loyalty. He stuck at this place. He's made a name for himself as a walk-on, and everyone just wanted to tear him down because he threatened a record that most of you didn't even see actually happen. Yeah, just, so just, just 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 think about that. Like the kid at Detroit Mercy can we can celebrate him and what he's done, and it doesn't take anything away from Pistol Pete. And you know what? We can still celebrate Pistol Pete without having to tear down the kid. Both things can happen. Let's do better here. It, it, it's really not kindness is free. Respectability is free. Does it cost you anything to act that way? Not anything. Just doesn't. I know we got to get to break in a minute here, but I wanted to get your take on something because I, I said the the Pete Maravich not graduating thing. I, I was joking. I mean, he it, he didn't graduate from LSU, but I don't think that necessarily matters. It doesn't you know? There's still a stadium named after him and things like that. But what's your take on you by know, the state, by the way, not by the school? Right, Just right. Like to but, point that out. Too. But going along the lines of that, what's your take on the the controversy that's come up with uh, like Alabama fans say claiming Jalen Hurts when you know he ended up finishing his career at Oklahoma? Your I don't think it matters like that. Or like, what about, well, not fans then, what about like Alabama football kind of claiming Jalen Hurts and kind of posting things about it when he does things well? Cajun fans are going to claim Osiris Torrance when he's a first-round draft pick this year, right? To an extent, yeah. I mean, you already saw some some stuff with uh, some coaches that were kind of um, calling out. There was a post about, I don't know if you saw that, there was a post about Osiris's career at Florida, and they said career at Florida, his great career, his college career and stuff, and I think some UL coaches chimed back in on Twitter and said uh, most of his career took place somewhere else. I think it's just all silliness. Uh, it, it's it's faux controversies. Jalen Hurts was at Alabama. He played for Alabama. He started for Alabama. He lost his job at Alabama, and then he went transferred to Oklahoma. Both can first of all shouldn't be claiming an individual. Don't don't like that language, but. Okay, you know what I meant. No, the, I, I know, I know what you meant. The accolades. He was a very good player at Alabama. And he was a very good player for a season at Oklahoma. Both can say, "Hey, we're proud." Okay, I mean, it wasn't Hurts a grad transfer, right? So he actually has a degree from Alabama and then transferred to Oklahoma. Okay, I, I got no problem with the school, you know. Wanting to heap praise on someone that played for them and graduated from them. I think it's all silly. Because if you ask Hertz, he talks about his time both at Alabama and Oklahoma. 
So, all right. You know, you know, I, I just, it, it, it's like, it's the same thing like Major League Baseball when you have to pick a hat to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, you play for multiple teams. You know what all those teams are going to do, Dawson? They're all going to get out a big congratulatory ad and say, thanks, former Padre or former Brave Fred McGriff. Congratulations on your induction into Cooperstown. I, I don't I don't think it merely matters. Once again, we're 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 we live in a, a time where people just want to be uh, upset about something because they want to be outraged by something. And this Pistol Pete record being threatened is a perfect example of that. We gotta take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company. What are we going to do? Oh, man, we're going to talk about LSU baseball. They're gearing up for the weekend. We're going to hear from Jay Johnson. That's next right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Uh, game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337 337- Seven zero six zero one one one, and we're going to head out there right now. Welcome on, Jason, to the show. Jason, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my old friend? Raymond, what's happening with you, man? How you been, bud? It's been too long, brother. I hope you've been good. I've been. I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. From six oh six to literally three minutes ago, and it's six twenty five. Shoot, what's the math right there? What's that? About twenty-two minutes. That's six. Yeah, it's six twenty-two, bud. Minus three minutes. All right. I say all that is that I left Youngsville on Barrot School Road, navigating Barrot School Road. It's hit or miss. Even when you leave that early in the morning, and you're trying to get all the way to the Bandsland Thruway, if you if you if you can get past two of the bad lights, it's a good drive. If you catch all three, golly, man! So right now, I'm I'm a little pissy. I've said some cuss words. <laughs> as long as you don't say them on the air, we're fine. I know. What's your lag time with you? You just let me know. You got a button you can push? Uh, <laughs> I know you do, right? Please tell me you do. Yeah, we, do. we have a delay button, Birdsy. We have a delay button. All right. All right. All right. Nah, don't, you have to worry about that. Don't worry about that button. I got your back, man. I got what? your back. Hey, who's your partner? That, that's my new producer, man, Dawson Iserlow. He's been Dawson, with us almost a month now. He's cool. He's cool. I like him. <laughs> you like him because he answered the phone. Good job, Dawson. <laughs> no, but you, but you, but you, you guys banter sometimes. I like that. Yeah, thank you. So, oh, what's your hot topic for the day? <laughs> man, just calls. We were talking about people <laughs> being upset about Pistol Pete's record possibly being taken down in uh, – May, uh, trying to tear down the kid that was trying to do it, and we said how silly and stupid read, that was. <laughs> I read, I read that this morning. Is that, is that a real possibility? I didn't really get into it because I thought it was kind of fake news. No, it was not fake news. He <laughs> fell short. They lost in their conference tournament. He fell three points short 
of tying uh, Pistol Pete's record. So there you go. All right. Pete remains top seed. There you go, bud. <laughs> I hope you have a great day, Jason. Man, you too. All right, brother. And I, it, I got I got a take on your name, but that'll be next time. I love the RP4 thing y'all talked about yesterday. Thanks, bud. But I, I'll check in another time. All right, brother. <laughs> oh, Bernsey. It's been a minute since I heard from Jason. We do have a poll question of the day to share with you. After quarterback, what is the biggest position of need for the New Orleans Saints? We've talked a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. Have not put it in a poll question form. So we felt like it was needed to do so. Shout out to Dawson because he was the brains behind this operation. He is every morning now. After quarterback, what's the biggest position in need for the New Orleans Saints? Is it running back? Is it defensive tackle? Is it guard? Or is it other? And right now, the uh, poll question's been up only for a little while. 53% of you say running back. 29% say D tackle. 12% say other. Guards getting 6% of the vote. Let's get to some comments. Salty Steve says, a fish stinks at the head. A saying I heard on TV that I think applies to this poll. I say other, you can take it for what it's worth. That's Salty Steve's way of saying they need so much, so much more. Thought we were no salt on Fridays or something. What, what yeah. happened to that? Yeah, what happened? What happened with no salt Friday, Steve? John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, I know we will be out w- without AK 41 for a while, but running back can be found in free agency, not to waste a pick on. If we do not sign back uh, at least two of those one-year D tackles, we will need to get one on a good team-friendly rookie contract. That's a good comment. I don't just want to jump in here. Sorry to interrupt you. I know you're kind of flowing with the tweets here. That's what That would be my take there. Now, I wouldn't say you don't have to waste a pick on a running back. I would take a running back. I just don't think that the urgency that people like needing to spend a running back, you know, p- spend a pick on a running back in the first round is as dire as people think. Again, you know, and Foot loves to talk about Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick. There's running backs to be found now. If you want to get the best running back in the class, sure, you might have to do that. But I think defensive tackle is the way bigger need, and it's way more difficult to find good ones. So, I would agree to that. But right now, you don't have a running back on the roster that you can trust because Kamara's going to be suspended. So can you... The, the danger with running back is this, and I agree. Like, if, if it was me, I think the defensive tackle, right, is probably going to be their priority because they, they, they don't have one. So, but you didn't have a backup running back last year, and you tried, and they've tried to go the cheap route getting guys off the trash heap. It hasn't worked in the last couple of years. And when they did find someone off the trash heap, They got poached by other teams. So this notion that they can just go grab one out of free agency, I I don't think it's that simple. I really don't. And I also agree to this. I don't think B. John Robinson's going to be there at 29. I think you're going to see him be a top 20 pick. It certainly feels like his uh, his draft stock is is rising. It's and yes, but it's interesting too because I'll tell you this right now: there's a lot of really intelligent people in the analytics field that are in these front offices, and they are going to be begging and pleading for these general managers and coaches not to take running backs in the first round. Yes, because of the data behind it, and I I can't say I blame them. I understand like the data with when you talk about the return on your investment and the number of years you're expecting to get back and things like that. 
it tells you that first-round picks on running backs are almost never worth it, even when they're great players. But Correct. I do think the thing, and the thing that, that Bijan has been able to do, and, and maybe we're going to kind of see a little bit more of this, from all indications, he's kind of the complete guy. He's not a guy who has a, well, he's a great runner, but he needs to you know develop his pass-catching skills, or he's a great this, but he can't really pick up the blitz. From all indications, he can kind of do all that, so I think maybe a team values that enough to go up and get him. And I think, I think he's going to climb. Now, if I was the Saints, take D tackle in the first round and then take maybe Spears, Spears. There you go. out of two lane in the second round with the, the number electric. 40th pick. Now, is Ty J Spears an every down, you know, every down feature back the way that Bijan Robinson might be? I'm not sure. He's small, um, but he did carry the load for two lane and he had over 30 carries in some games, and I mean, really kind of put the team on his back. So correct. We can talk more about the running back kind of. There's some other interesting options as well, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that as the draft gets closer. I'm sure. John Paul says, by the way, guess who is the leading rusher in the XFL? Abram Smith. Of course he is. <laughs> JPK, the OD, says, is head coach an option? If not, I'll take this running back. Eric Bieniemy, <laughs> former Colorado running back. Ralph says, if Penny is ready, you can slide Hurst to guard with Throckmorton as a backup, but D-tackle is a huge need. That being said, if Torrance is still on the board, take him. Honestly, they need help at all of the above. Hashtag not a hammock season. Hashtag Get hammered season. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts, your comments on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back here, you know what? We're going to table the LSU baseball talk for a little bit later this hour. We're going to tackle the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Dawson and I are going to give you a preview of what's still to come this weekend over in Pensacola where I'll be heading to with Footsie. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Sunbelt Conference Tournament is in full effect over in lovely Pensacola. And the Raging Cajun men won't play until Saturday night, tomorrow night. They'll play at 7.30. We know who they're going to play now in their quarterfinal matchup. And let's break that down a little bit. Cajuns are going to be taking on now Georgia Southern. They defeated a lovely ULM last night the women played on Wednesday the men played yesterday James Madison defeated Old Dominion no that's old sorry Georgia Southern defeats ULM in their first round game what do we make of that matchup we knew that the Cajuns were better with against ULM They faced them twice. They beat them twice. Now, Georgia Southern's an interesting game, Dawson, because 
That was a game that they were down by what? A ton at halftime, and they had to rally in the second half inside the Cajun Dome to beat Georgia Southern. So this is not going to necessarily be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. What do we make of this matchup for the Cajuns now that we know that it's set? 7.30 tomorrow night inside the Pensacola Bay Center, Georgia Southern versus UL. Yeah, so uh, this is not worst-case scenario by any stretch of the imagination. I mentioned that when the bracket came out. I felt pretty good about the draw, at least in the first round. Um, and then the idea, too, is that once you're past the quarterfinals, like you're going to be playing a good opponent anyway, or at least a team that's really hot. Um, and that's going to prove to be the case because if UL were to make it to the semis, they would either play Marshall, who we know is one of the best teams in the conference, or Texas State, who is all of a sudden playing their best basketball of the season in Pensacola. Um, now, there was a couple of things that happened yesterday that were just, you know, it's, it's basketball in March and things happen. Um, Texas State beating Old Dominion. So Old Dominion, and I know, I, I know you asked me about Georgia Southern and UL. They but, scored 36 points, dude. Yeah, so Old Dominion. What happened? Well, here's the thing, too. You, you, you try to, you know, you, you follow college basketball over the years and you, try to, you think you have things figured out about, you know, finding the teams that are hot heading into the tournament and things like that. Well, Old Dominion, all they did was beat the number one team in the conference, Southern Miss, on the second to last day of the regular season, and then beat the number three team in the conference, Marshall, yes, on the last day of the regular they, season. They took down the two, two of the top yeah. three seeds for the conference tournament heading into the conference tournament, and they turned around and put up 36. And, yeah, they didn't just get beat. They actually got destroyed. It was one of the most dominant basketball games I've watched all year. They set now, a look, new record. They, yeah, they had 14 at the half, um, which tied the uh, Raging Cajun women for uh, the lowest in the tournament and the lowest all-time in the Sunbelt men's tournament. So, yes. you know, it was obviously not their best game. Now, Texas State was, again, the team that I said of the bottom four I don't feel great about any of them, but if there's a team that's going to make a run here, it's definitely going to be Texas State. They're the team that has the you know the guy who's been there before in Mason Harrell. They were the league champions. The ironic thing is the Bobcats have been the league champions the last two years and played horribly in the tournament. This year they got were bounced early, six and twelve in the regular season, and now they're playing well in the tournament. They figured some things out defensively. Obviously, you know they shut down Old Dominion. They played pretty well in the first round uh, as well against Georgia State. Uh, they're they're shooting the basketball better than they did in the regular season. They're doing a lot of things. So I still think Marshall's got way too much firepower, and I think Marshall's probably pretty happy to see that result because they now get a Texas State team that they match up much better with. We already saw them struggle and lose to Old Dominion at the end of the regular season. So It's also one of the other teams that the Cajuns had lost to during the regular season. Remember, second conference game of the slate was at Old Dominion. They lost that game. So now one of the other teams that had been a thorn in your side – has now been eliminated early. Yeah, so right? that's something to kind of keep in mind. But let's focus on you, of course, have to get to that point, and that means tomorrow night you got to come out and play really good basketball. I think the the thing that some coaches don't like is having to kind of sit, and Coach Byron Starks told me this when I talked to him after LSUE's disappointing loss the other night. He said, yeah, I think the layoff probably hurt us. And he talked about how um, you know the team that they played, Meridian, played on Saturday to finish the regular season, then played on Monday in the first round game, and then played again, played them on Wednesday. Whereas LSUE, you know, had been over a week since they had played, or yeah. almost a week, so that kind of hurt them. Let's see if that happens. UL's got to come out now. I think playing the late game probably lends yourself. You feel better about that. I think Southern Miss, they're not in a great spot. Not only are you playing a team, and I know I'm bouncing all around here, so everybody just stay with me. <laughs> 
Not only are you playing a team that dominated you a couple of weeks ago and seems to have a pretty good matchup against you and is playing great basketball, but you got to play them at 11.30 in the morning. And you, you talk about that's obviously you don't play probably any games during the regular season at 11.30 in the morning outside of if you played in a preseason tournament. You've got to be up and ready to play because South Alabama is a team that can get up on you in a hurry if you're not ready. So the Golden Eagles are certainly on upset alert, and I think everyone's going to be interested to see that one. The slate for Saturday is Southern Miss versus South Al. And then another good one right behind it is James Madison versus Troy. Now, Troy had had their yeah. hands full With last night. State, right. Certainly. They get to take on JMU. So let, let's just break it down here if you're Southern Miss. You first have to get past South Alabama, who drubs you by more than 30 just a couple weeks ago. If you beat South Alabama at an 11.30 tip, which is always notoriously difficult, and we see upsets when those early games take on uh, are played, then you're going to be taking on James Madison or Troy. That's not necessarily great either. It's a tough. It's going to be tough for Southern Miss. It just is. Then it's Marshall versus Texas it's State. James Madison or Troy, yeah. that's. I agree. Go ahead. And then Georgia Southern versus UL is the nightcap on Saturday. So it's yeah they they got they got the tough draw in my opinion. I don't think things shook out the way that they would have liked them to. Um, but hey, that's that's what it is in the, in these types of tournaments, and you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to make do. Now let's talk about Georgia Southern UL a little bit because that's what we uh, said we were gonna talk about eight minutes ago before I started going off on a tangent. <laughs> Georgia Southern played Monroe last night. Um, look, Monroe hasn't won a game in in over a month. They, you know, clearly struggled. They kind of limped to the finish after what was a great story for much of the season. Um, but they played well last night at times, and they hit a couple of shots early. They stayed in it, but in the end, they couldn't hit enough. Georgia Southern beats them here. Now, here's the thing for Georgia Southern, and the thing I didn't want to see as a UL fan was – these teams get really hot and feel great and hit a bunch of three-point shots and kind of get their confidence level going high into Saturday. And that might have happened, unfortunately, because Georgia Southern shot the basketball very well, especially in the second half. They went 9 of 18, so 50% from three. Kamari Brown made three of his six threes. Tyron Moore made four of five for him. And Jalen Finch hit two of four, including a dagger late in that game. So the guards for Georgia Southern are certainly feeling it right now. Now, you'll remember they came out like a ball of fire in the Cajun Dome and did the same thing. They shot the basket. I was in awe. They were, I think, 21 for 27 from the field at one point in that first half. Mm. Something something ridiculous like that. Um, so they've shown you they're capable. Now here's the X factor. Andre Sarasov, the big man for Georgia Southern, did not play last night. He was in a walking boot. The broadcast kind of talked about it. I think he was questionable leading up to it, and they decided that he couldn't go. Now he didn't play in the first matchup either with UL. That was another thing. Now Georgia Southern was missing two of their best players in that game. That was another reason it was so surprising how well they played. So Sarasov is certainly going to be questionable. I wouldn't say he's not going to play. I'd imagine if he's got a chance to, he's going to try. But he's in a walking boot, dude. Yeah, but look, walking boots are, first of all, if, if you're dealing with some sort of ankle sprain, you're going to be in that as a protective measure anyway. I don't think that's indicative of someone not playing. Um, if he's dealing with an ankle sprain, I don't know what the exact injury is. You would be in that boot just as a protective measure to just make sure you're not putting any undue stress on it while you're walking around. The but you're not going to, to be 100%. Not no, he's not close. going to be 100%. If he plays, he's certainly not going to be 100%. But he's a factor because when you take a look at the at what they're able to do, he's the only guy, in my opinion, that's maybe got anything for Jordan Brown on the inside. Uh, he's the only guy. Now, look, he's also their leading scorer. He's 14 points a game. So he's, a, he's the guy, really, who 
they rely on to score the basketball at times. He's a pretty good three-point shooter. He does a lot of things offensively. And right now they don't have him. So I think if he doesn't play, that's another advantage to UL. Now what the Cajuns also have to deal with is what, you know, one of those things that we've talked about, you're going to be preparing to maybe face him, maybe not. And now how much of your game plan are you preparing for maybe that four-guard look? Because when he doesn't play, Georgia Southern goes with the four-guard look. And they're going to play a bunch of guys who can shoot the basketball and really try to spread things out instead of working it through him. So I think you plan to, f- to face the four guard look. It well, it, and that's the thing though. It fundamentally would kind of change how you prepare for this because when they when Sarasov's in there, they run a, they run the offense through him in the inside. When he's not, they have those four guards and they still have one forward that they play inside. But don't you which, think that's easier to prepare for, knowing that the offense is going to run from him? That you can make that adjustment rather. I, I think you would have to prepare for the four guard look a little bit more than you would if he does play. I think it's an easier switch yeah. for the Cajuns and Bob Marlin and his staff to go, okay, well, he is going to play. Let's switch over to we know how to do that. I, I think that may be a little bit easier. Not it's, to say it won't be a challenge. Right. I just think it's going to be a little bit of an easier challenge. You no, know, it's certainly possible. And look, here's the other thing. Right now, this Georgia Southern team, if they don't have Sarasov, they're going to be pretty thin. And they played eight guys last night, but Derek Harris Jr. only played six minutes. So they really play in a seven-man rotation when they don't have Sarasov in there. And their other forward, Carlos Curry, only played 17 minutes. They're starting forward, at least. They also had Johnny McFadden, who came in and actually played more than that off the bench. But they're a team that provides some mismatches on the outside if they're able to shoot the basketball well. If they don't hit a bunch of threes, I don't think they have much of a chance against UL. That's what I would say. Um, but on the other hand, we've seen if UL doesn't make their own shots, they can struggle on the inside. And, and Jordan Brown, sometimes if they, you know, if he's getting doubled and he's not finding his open looks, then you might have a little bit of trouble. I think the Cajuns are in pretty good shape here, but I would say that the thing that just gives me pause is nine of eighteen from the three-point line. Um, they they really they got it going. Now they've had a game to play in the Pensacola Bay Center. They have their you know kind of their bearings about them, and they're going to have all day. Now again, the Cajuns. I like the fact that you're playing at night. It's not like oh, are we going to be woken up and ready to go at eleven thirty? We have all day. They'll probably be watching a couple of the games early, kind of hanging out, staying off their feet, and then they got to get ready to go at seven thirty. Another thing these coaches have talked about is the difficulty when you don't get practice time on this gym in this gym because of course there's games going on all day so you're not going to have your regular shoot around in the gym that morning you got to get you know it's you got to get ready to go and I think coach Marlin's team they played in the Asheville championship so they got that tournament type experience early on in the year Um, I think it's a pretty good matchup for the Cajuns but you certainly have to show up and Georgia Southern as we've talked about is very capable of beating you if you don't bring your best game we'll see if the Cajuns can uh, take Georgia Southern's best and win in advance to Sunday's semifinal round of course I will be over there covering the game, sharing stuff on social media and whatnot, so you can make sure to check all that out at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Thank you. 
Poll question of the day. We asked you, after quarterback, what's the biggest position of need for the Saints? Is it running back? Is it defensive tackle? Is it guard or is it other? Blaine on Facebook says, Coach, quarterback is a must. Doesn't have to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. A top 10 quarterback who has great character and work ethic. Carr makes a lot of sense because Saints could take a young quarterback in this or next year's draft and develop him behind Carr for a couple of years. I'd love for them to get a top edge rusher or running back in the first round. Gibbs at running back would be excellent, even if you have to move up into the middle of the first round. Addison or Hyatt would be excellent, too. Edward on Facebook says, Offensive line is the most needed, but they will uh, draft a kicker instead. And with a laughing, smiling emoji. On Twitter, Brad says, Running back, then wide receiver. I, I am interested to see what they're going to do at wide receiver, by the way. Ton says, Definitely head coach. Hashtag not salty, just realistic. Are they going to address wide receiver? Because that's 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 the wild card in this for me, Dawson, is we know what they like to do. In their history, under Mickey Loomis, and I know this because I wrote a story about it about four or five years ago. This is what the Saints like to do in the first two rounds. They draft O-linemen, D-linemen, defensive backs, wide receivers. And running backs. And running back. What running back is... But the other ones are the ones they always do. O-line, D-line, DB. Those are the ones they primarily like to spend the first two round picks on. And then wide receiver. So, you know, we don't know Michael Thomas' situation. Is he going to be there? Is he going to want to be there? If they get Derek Carr, is he going to be saying, you know what, let's run this back, Saints? Or is the dam- too much damage been done? Yeah, you prompted me with 20 seconds, so I'll do my best to be efficient here. Um, I think it's fully dependent on Michael Thomas, essentially. Like, if that, if that's a thing and they are progressing in talks and they're going to bring him back, then you maybe don't have to address it. Now, you still probably would like to get somebody at some point because you don't know if Michael Thomas is going to play and you've had injury issues elsewhere. But, look, I think if Thomas comes back, it's much less of a need. If he's not, then, yeah, you really need a physical big-body receiver on the outside because you don't have that with, Sha- with Shahid and Olave. So, we'll see. And you don't want to bring Traquan Smith back. Please, please don't. Please don't. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with James Yasko of the Lehman Time Time podcast. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, 7.03 on this Friday morning here on RP3 and Company. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Our number one in the books. We talked about the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Pensacola. We talked about the young man from Detroit Mercy falling just short of tying and breaking Pistol Pete's all-time mark with career points. And we have also unveiled the poll question of the day. What do you believe the biggest position of need is for the New Orleans Saints after quarterback? Go vote on that and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up in a half hour from right now, Dan McDonald, the man who is 
the play-by-play man for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics will join us. We'll talk baseball, softball, and, of course, men's basketball with Dan. That's coming up. But right now, to lead off hour number two, it's going to be our good friend from the Lima Time Time podcast, also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, James Yasko joins us. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you today? I don't have much of a voice, uh, but otherwise, I'm good. Great. <laughs> Bud, Bud, you're on the struggle bus. We we on the struggle bus this week. Is it is it a struggle this week? It's it's actually kind of a good thing. Uh, so I I coach I coach a soccer team. Uh, we're trying to make playoffs, and and we were down three one at halftime and one four three. Uh, so that's that's this is the result. Oh, let's give it up. Let's give it up for James Yasko's soccer club coming back. What yeah. a rally, Bud! Congrats. It was absolutely nuts. So I, I first the, the first part of losing the voice was screaming in absolute fury and anger, uh, and the second half of losing the voice was uh, sheer delight. I, I blacked out. I, I, I might have said horrible things. I don't know, uh, but I haven't been reported. So apparently it was all it was all good. So one of the uh, the officials from the soccer match is probably going to need therapy after what you told him. All right, <laughs> that's entirely possible. <laughs> all right, bud, let's let's switch over to the Houston Astros. And look, look, spring training is what it is, right? It's a lot of guys in the minor league system that are trying to get reps, trying to show that they maybe belong to be called up during the year, especially for a team like the Strohs, who are so loaded, have so many veteran guys that are from uh from this uh from the world series team a year ago and some of them even far back as 2017 so i want to approach this a little bit differently than just ask you well how about this or how about this guy Uh, how about what position player or players do you feel need to make the most improvement from last year to this year if the strohs want to repeat as world series champs who is that Uh, jake myers uh the the there's actually I mean, for all of the heroics that Chaz McCormick uh, pulled off, you know, in the in the in the postseason, uh, and specifically the World Series, uh, center field is is yeah, that's a pretty that, that's a pretty important position. And the, the Astros need, you know, it, it's almost like there's all star candidates everywhere else on the field, and then you've got this sort of gap in center. Uh, and so Jake Myers and and Chaz McCormick, you know, Jake sort of he was sort of billed as the uh, Springer replacement, if you will, um, kind of the guy at the beginning of last year. And, and it wasn't long before, you know, it was Chaz McCormick that was in there. And he was just sort of covered up uh, by by everybody else just killing it in the lineup. But but if, if there's one position player that, that needs to uh, needs to have a good spring training to sort of solidify his place in the team, it's Jake Myers. Uh, what player on the roster you believe, in your opinion, is maybe on the verge of having a a breakout year. Oh, I, you know, I think this might be the year that Alex Bregman actually puts it together for an entire 162 game season. Um, You know, I I know, I know he finished, he finished second in the MVP race a few years back, but it's with Bregman. It seems like lately he's either been hurt or it just takes, it takes him a little little while to get going. Um, I think he comes out of the gate. Absolutely killing it this year. That's a that's an interesting take because we haven't seen that right. He's either been nicked up or just has had a bit of a slump. 
Uh, if he comes out on a tear, that could be a huge difference for uh, this ball club. We're talking with James Yasko, co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and he joins us here in RP3 and Company as we talk Houston Astros. Hunter Brown turned heads last year. We talked a lot about him, what he was doing down in Sugarland for the the Space Cowboys, and then it, he seemingly made the transition up to the big leagues with no problems, at least in the limited sample size that we had. We know he has potential. We know the franchise believes in him. What is his role going to be early on with the Astros, and what role should he have this season, in your opinion? I think, you know, he he has a strong case. You know, I mean, he's a guy that, and yes, he he had a tremendous amount of success in his first couple of starts. Uh, I do, if if memory serves correct, and as a history teacher, I hope it does, uh, the his first two starts were against the Rangers, which I think Sugarland might have been able to to take a series from the Rangers last year. Um, and so, you know, you, you put, yeah, yeah, they're major league hitters, and and he looked really good. Um, but he's a guy that that modeled his entire, you know, he grew up idolizing Justin Verlander, uh, based his entire delivery on Justin Verlander, and now has the chance to sort of replace Justin Verlander. Now, do you put that amount of weight and expectation on a on a kid who's who's looking to spend his second month in the in the majors? No, probably not. But you know, I think I don't think the Astros would have any problem uh, just slotting in Verlander 2.0 for Verlander for forty million dollar Verlander 1.0. Um, should that be his role as young as he is? Maybe, but I, I do think he's gonna. Uh, he's got. I think he's going to make the rotation, and, and I think he's going to he's going to stick there. That leads me to my next question. Bravo for you on that. Uh, we know Framer is going to be the number one. He's the clear cut number one on the staff. But they have a lot of other guys that are going to be battling out to be the number two, number three, and number four. You can make an argument for any of them because they've all shown that they can handle that responsibility in the last few years. Who is the number two, and why? based on the amount of trust that was shown in him in the postseason and the success that he had against the Yankees. Uh, and then, and then of course the, the Phillies, I think your number two is Christian Javier. Uh, there's a reason they, they locked him up to an extension um, because he just, he just murdered two of the best teams in, in the majors last year uh, and did it on a fairly consistent basis. So I, I do think that, that Javier is your number two, I, the the one through five thing, uh, I think it, it means a whole lot more in theory than it does in practice. You know, I mean, ultimately you want everyone to make 32 starts and that's that, and that's not going to happen. And you're going to, you know, someone's going to need to, you know, go on the IL for a little bit. Um, someone is going to uh, just have to have a, a, a start skipped. And then with off days, you know, you, you, you reshuffle. One through five, I don't I don't know how much that that actually matters once you get into May, June, July, August. Okay, so you don't as long as it's Framer and then Christian, then it could be Garcia or Keedy and then Brown. It really doesn't matter. And then whenever McCullers comes back. Right, right. And, you know, with Brown, you know, he's obviously going to be watching his innings. And so it may be that his turn is on a Tuesday. Uh, and you're off on Tuesday. So he goes, you know, he goes Wednesday and then that might reshuffle some things. It's all just sort of, you know, you, based on schedule and, and how everyone's feeling and also kind of an innings limit. 
You know, you, you made a joke and you threw some uh, shade at the Texas Rangers. But they do I like did. to spend yeah. money. And it didn't work last offseason, but they try, they're try. they trying it again this offseason. I know Seattle, look, you could argue there probably wasn't a, a team that pushed the Astros more than the Mariners did last year in the postseason. Uh, Seattle mm-hmm. finally wins a playoff series, the wild card round for the first time in 20 years. They have a lot of young talent. Are the Seattle Mariners the biggest threat to the Astros in the AL West? And who's the biggest threat in the American League period? In the American League, it's the Yankees. I mean, that's that's just, you know, I mean, the, the Blue Jays have the tools to just kind of pop off and have a 98-win season. Uh, whether they can actually do that, I don't know. In the in the West, I think, you know, the, I think the Rangers are going to have an okay season. You know, I think they will make the wild card round just because there's, you know, half the, half the league can make can make the playoffs. Um, and I think they're a top half team. The and and just adding Degrom, you know, whether or not his arm is going to hold up, you know, that's that's up for debate. Uh, but this actually should be a, a more fun division than it has been for the last what six years. Um, so yeah, yeah, probably the Mariners have earned the right to be the the number two, you know, the the number one contender. Uh, but the Rangers should have a pretty good year as well. I noticed, you, I, I, I noticed you did not mention the team with the two generational players on it, the Anaheim Angels of San Diego Union, Credit County, whatever, Anator. Uh, you, you didn't mention them, bud. They have not earned the right to be mentioned. <laughs> uh, once, you, once you make me think about you, then I'll think about you. But if you don't make me think about you, I'm not going to. What a waste of talent. That is a terribly ran organization. <laughs> hey, we'll wrap it up with this, brother. Repeating rarely happens in the modern era, right? It's become immensely difficult in Major League Baseball to win back-to-back. That's what the Strohs are wanting to do. That's what you know. Jim Crane says, we want to run it back. They bring back Dusty Baker. They pretty much bring back everyone except for Verlander. They're loaded yet again. Why is it so hard to win back to back? And do you believe the Astros can actually do it this year? I, I do. Uh, I mean, you know, we're we're one dumb week and a half against the Braves away from looking at a three-peat. Um, you know, so I, I think you know it's not as though oh the Astros have a target on their back. They've they've had a target on their back since since 2017. Excuse me, and for sure have had a target on their back since the athletic article dropped. Um, I just, I just think that it's hard to repeat because the 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 postseason is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, you look at the Phillies that were the the last team in, and what they won sixty seven games in the regular season and snuck in, uh, which I know they I know they won more than that, but but you know it was if they hadn't expanded playoffs this year, this past year, then the Phillies wouldn't have made it, uh, and you know they got hot at the right time. Uh, anybody can get hot at the right time. So I think that's that's the more difficult. It doesn't have anything to do with the team that's defending it. It's just the the sort of roll of the dice that, that happens in October. I mean, we're Jordan Alvarez away from getting beaten by the Mariners, you know, in the in the ALDS. It's fair. Like that's, I mean, it was it was so close. That, that, was, that was a ridiculous three game. You know, the two Jordan home runs and a Jeremy Pena 1-0, 18-inning home run. That's, 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 that's a pretty razor-thin margin. 
But I just wrap it up with this. Are, are you are, are you okay? You look, you look a little nervous on the Zoom. Uh, you look like one of the characters from The Walking Dead when they're trapped in a car and they're worried about the walkers. Are you okay? I'm just I'm just I'm a little concerned. I'm okay. I'm in the grocery store parking lot, uh, and so <laughs> some people are looking uh, at you, going, "Why is this maniac talking to himself in the car?" He is he is talking to the steering wheel very intently. Do we need to call somebody? And I hope not because my registration is out. Um, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, the, we have a game tonight, like my soccer team, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm just yeah, no, I'm fine. I'll text you details later. <laughs> text it's me crazy. Text me details later, but hey, congrats on the win. Uh, best of luck tonight, brother. Thank you for making the time. Enjoy your weekend, bud. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Uh, and my my voice actually feels a lot better than it did when I, I think I think when I said uh, I'm fine this morning, that was the first time I talked since like yesterday. <laughs> Thank you, James. Have a good weekend. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a, a good weekend for us. Um, you're seeing two very veteran teams um, facing a really good starting pitcher tomorrow night. Um, so really competitive, uh, older players positionally for both teams. So this isn't just a hey, chalk it up, show up and and win. We have to play well. We're gonna have to play well to win. Number one. Number two. Um, you know, talking about this, you know, being a mission, you know, improvement on a daily basis is a foundational thing for us. And there's some things that we need to improve on, which I'm excited about to get out there today and work on and then uh, take them into the weekend. Strikeouts? Yeah, that's uh, that's a yes and no, uh, to be honest with you. There's a reason why we're a little high. There's actually a couple reasons why we're a little higher. Uh, we want to eliminate the ones that we shouldn't have, but we're going to have some. And, um, you know, I don't really want to elaborate on how and the why and the what, but I know the difference between the ones that are, I guess, what you would call okay or acceptable and the ones that aren't. We want to attack the ones that aren't and have those be a little bit better. LSU baseball coach Jay Johnson there talking about his thoughts on the matchups for this weekend. And they're going to be playing an interesting slate, Butler – and Central Connecticut State. We'll see how that works out for them. That's not necessarily the best competition out there, right? It's just not. And it's going to be a weird kind of weekend for the number one ranked team in the country. They're going to take on Butler tonight, Central Connecticut State Saturday, Sunday, and then Butler again on Monday. So it's kind of a mini tournament, if you will. That said, 
you're still looking at developing things. Look, they, they've had a great start to the season. They took two or three at Round Rock. Then they went on the road, stayed on the road, took down Texas, an old rival, right, of theirs, another perennial powerhouse program. Texas a little bit on, you know, a little down this year, but still a good, impressive road win. And in that game, of course, the hero was Gavin Dugas, right? Three-run jack in the top of the ninth. It's great when you have a power-hitting second baseman, isn't it? <laughs> Typically not a position where, you know, traditionally that's a big power hitter, but Gavin has a great bat. He's good with the glove work. And Jay Johnson talked about how critical Gavin's been so far early in the season for the Tigers. Yeah, done a good job. Yeah, done a good job. Um, super engaged. I mean, literally it was a, you know, extra work thing every day leading into the season. Um you know, motivated to do it. And part of the pull in bringing him back here was A, to try this out. And then B, like, I mean, the guy's been here for four years and he's not a pro player. Like, he needed a, a position where his profile could be a little bit better. And so I think he's motivated from that front, too. Um, so uh, pleased, very pleased with um, the work put in to be a good defender. Um, I think he's shown his athleticism a couple more times than, than maybe we had seen a because he wasn't an infielder last year uh, but B's worked hard on, on his feet and playing low and using his eyes to catch the ball and has a good a strong arm from being an outfielder so he turns a double play well so it's it's evolving into something that's you know not a something we're trying but it's becoming a thing and he deserves all the credit he's been very good the other part of that is you know, he's a veteran guy. You got him, you got Trey Morgan, you got Dylan Cruz. You got some veteran guys that know what the standard is at LSU, understand what it takes to do that and to maintain that level of success and what needs to be done every day, seven days a week. Now, there's a new guy in the mix as well, and he's already made a contribution. And, of course, we're talking about Brady Neal, the freshman Catcher out of Tallahassee, he went to IMG Academy. This was a guy that was selected in the draft by the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. He's made a bit of an impact already for the team this season. He's hitting the ball fairly well. Also, obviously, what he does behind the plate. And Jay talked about how critical it was to be able to keep Brady from going pro in the last draft. Yeah, he's he's a great player, um, man alive. I'll tell you what, um, that draft that there's a few that we lost, but that that was the battle I was sweating out the most because of the position importance and uh, really didn't let up. You know, from our our draft education meeting um, that I have with the players that are in that position to um, you know the summer the the morning of day two, like I, mean, I kept mom and dad on the phone for an hour. You know, the more, literally, and didn't let him off um, because I knew the impact he could have. Now, with that being said, the improvement between fall baseball and now, or even January 15th and now, is remarkable. And I think uh, the piece that stands out the most, and some guys are like this, uh, they're game players. You know, um, you know, Trey is very much a game player. Brady is a game player. And so, um, but what he also did was he elevated the importance of the things he was doing every day, knowing that if you're going to have this important role on the team, you have to be able to be counted on. And there's every coach, every player, 
every pitcher, I know they know they can count on him. As a catcher, that's super important. I'm pleased with the at-bats that he's taken. There's a few I've shaken my head of going like, this dude is well, and I don't even know what his numbers are, but is well beyond his years relative to taking good at-bats against good pitchers. So, uh, look, when you're a program like LSU, traditionally, and that's been the way since Skip was there and created them, uh, transformed them into a, a perennial national powerhouse, you're always fighting to keep your guys. The guys that you recruit, the guys that you bring in, they're going to be poached by Major League Baseball franchises. So it's always a struggle every single year for the LSU Tigers. He also gave us an update about Tommy Wyatt. That's right. Remember, starting third baseman, star, gets injured, what, in the Friday night opener? And has been shelved for the last few weeks. Jay Johnson gave an update on when we can expect to see Tommy White back on the field. I don't know that yet. Um, he played catch on Monday for the first time. Um, played a little bit of catch Tuesday. Uh, took tomorrow off. Uh, don't really have an answer on that either way. I, um, you know, we're hopeful. I mean, it's, you know, we're hopeful that all of them are at 100% and, and full strength. But uh, we'll work that way back in the manner that it it needs to. It's it's good having a good roster and depth that. Uh, you know, it's pretty significant if you looked at it from the outset of how it would affect our team, and it, it really hasn't. I mean, you know, the infield defense has been great with Ben and Jordan and Gavin um, particularly. So uh, Jared did a nice job over at first this weekend. Um, made some really good catches, made a good pick in the dirt, um, trade, you know, coming in at the end of the game. So um, we feel like we can get through in a way that we can make sure he's healthy before he's thrown. So – Get a. You don't have to rush him back. You're still in non-conference play, right? And, and Tommy's going to be critical for what they want to do. So you don't have to rush him back and throw him out there, you know, to face it off against Butler in Central Connecticut State, right? So you don't have to do that. So little update there from Jay Johnson, the LSU skipper. Once again, Butler tonight. You'll be able to listen to that game right here on the game. Central Connecticut State, Saturday and Sunday, and then once again, Butler on Monday there at Alex Box Stadium. we got to take a time out. When we return, we're going to talk all things Raging Cajuns with the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and the man who is the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast of Cajun Athletics. Dan McDonald joins us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. Bien. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh man, it's a busy, busy time for the Raging Cajuns right now. Softball team is over in Austin for the Longhorn Invitational. They'll be taking on McNeese today, among other teams this weekend. 
The baseball team's back at the Teague. They're going to be welcoming a team that played in an NCAA regional a year ago, the Campbell Camels. And the men's basketball team, well, they're over in Pensacola. They're going to take on Georgia Southern now in the quarterfinals of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament there at the Pensacola Bay Center. To talk all things Vermilion and White with us is our old friend, the man who is a Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and is currently the ESPN Plus play-by-play man for Raging Cajun Athletics. Dan McDonald joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Uh, like you said, I'm trying to follow all these events going on in different <laughs> places and get ready for some home action tonight. Yeah, and you're supposed to be retired too, by the way. <laughs> I know. It doesn't, it, that doesn't work for me. No, I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't. All right, so uh, before we dive into the men's basketball, I, I want to talk about what happened with the women the other night because that was a bit of a stunner to, to me. Uh, I thought that was a favorable matchup. I even thought if they advanced, playing Texas State was going to be a favorable matchup. And they just struggled mightily. What happened with Gary Broadhead's team there in the opening round of the Sunbelt Conference Women's Tournament? Well, first, uh, I think you're right in one instance in that if they had gotten by that first round game, we saw that App State just handled Texas State in that second round. So uh, I, I, I was looking forward to that matchup. I thought that that was a favorable matchup. But, you know, it hurts when you can't make shots. And we've seen this team that has gone for long stretches of time and can generate no offense, uh, that they that they miss shots, that, that they look segmented, they look scattered on offense. And they get into these, these down periods and they, you know, get behind and they don't have enough firepower to get back in it. You know, you, you have to, you know, you you hate to keep harping on the fact that you don't have a guy, somebody like a Brandy Williams in the lineup. Would would she have been making a big difference on this team all year long? Obviously, but you know you can't keep harping on that. You've got to find some offense, and for the most part, they didn't find any the other night against App State. You know, Gary prides himself on being a defensive-minded coach, and his girls fully embrace that. And, and they did a nice job defensively, especially in the first half against App State. Offensively, oh, unbelievable defense through like 24, 25 minutes. Yeah. And so I just think it's it's a situation, you know, if they just find themselves a score, I think we could see this team, especially with the pieces they got coming back, Dan, if they can just find themselves a shooter, they could be right back in the mix of things in this conference, right? Well, they're going to have one back uh, fairly much for certain because Brandy Williams has already told them that as of right now, you know, things can change, but as of right now, she wants to come back and play that year. She still has a year left uh, thanks to COVID and thanks to the injury redshirt year. But, uh, you know, I mean, that that's going to help some, but they need to find some more scoring punch. They need to develop, you know, other folks that can score. Lene Wheaton was that person when she was fully healthy. I'm not sure the second half of the year if she was ever fully healthy. Destiny Rice was a, a walking injury all year long, but she's not the scorer. She's the general. She's the person that makes things happen. Uh, she gets the ball to the folks that can score. Now, she can if needed. I mean, she had a couple times in high school where she made 10 three-pointers in a game. She can score if she has to. But, you know, they, they need to find some more scoring punch somewhere. I think that's pretty obvious. 
let's switch over to the men. They now they now know who their opponent is. It's going to be Georgia Southern, who shot the ball extremely well from three point range last night in their win over ULM. Now the big fella who didn't play the first time against the Cajuns. He was in a walking boot. He didn't play last night. His status for tomorrow night's quarterfinal game is still up in the air. What do you make of this matchup, and how different is it going to be if the big fella plays? Uh, I don't think much difference. Uh, I think that, you know, because because Jordan Brown is such an impact player on the game. I mean, he went up against, on the last home game in South Alabama, he went up against the league's defensive player of the year, uh, and uh, just you know, and it was a one-sided affair uh, between the two of them. Uh, you know, I don't think that you know Georgia Southern needs. You know, they've got to have more than one person. You have to double or triple team Jordan Brown, and that's the key on the offensive end. Will he help? Maybe so, but to be successful, Georgia Southern's got to shoot it. You remember? I'm trying to remember the numbers. I think they made like 14 of their last 16 shots in the first half in the game here. And they led by 19 points and then let that one slip away. Uh, and, and the Cajuns came back and won his biggest comeback ever since Bob Marlin's been head coach. Uh, is that going to be in their minds? You, you know that it is. And, you know, I think this one, if Louisiana gets out to a lead in this one, I think Georgia Southern's in a lot of trouble. Now, if they shoot it as well as they did last night, I mean, Tyron Moore was four out of five from three-point range. Kamari Brown was three out of six. They were nine for 18 as a team. Uh, the the difference was, you know, I don't know. I didn't watch it close enough to see if it was Georgia Southern's defense or it was just ULM couldn't make shots. But when Jamari Blackman and Tyreek Locour combined to go nine for 32, ULM's not going to win. You know, if that, you know, was I hoping that that one would go differently? Because, I mean, the Cajuns have ULM's number. They're just a better basketball team right now, and they and the matchup is not good for ULM. Georgia Southern's going to be a lot bigger test. When you look at this bracket, you know, Southern Miss, they're the one seed, but, man, <laughs> they got, they're going to have to face South Alabama at 1130 tomorrow, Dan. And then their uh, prize for the semifinals would be the winner of Troy and James Madison. Uh, I know the, the Golden Eagles, regular season champs, number one seed, deservingly so, but they sure did get a tough draw, right? Oh, I think so. I mean, South Alabama, I, even with the game that was here last Friday night, I still think they're very, very dangerous. Um, although I don't think the Cajuns play particularly well, we're still able to win. They had emotions on their side on Friday night. You know, in a tournament situation, you know, a lot of times it just comes down to talent and, you know, and just the desire to keep playing. Uh, you know, South Alabama to me has that desire right now. Uh, I think it's a tough matchup for Southern Miss. And, you know, then I think they very likely get James Madison on the other side. And I think that they're another dangerous team. They're consistent. They do a lot of things well. Did I think when the bracket came out, the Cajuns got the best end of it? I really think that they did. If both teams can get by games on Saturday, and I don't know if they can, you know, they'll play Marshall again. And I think that the styles in that game favor the Cajuns. Marshall beats a lot of teams because they're just not ready for them to run up and down the floor like they do. I think the Cajuns almost relish that opportunity. I think that they would be, I think they'd be looking forward to playing the Marshall game in the semifinal even more than the Southern Miss game in the final if that happens. 
And and that's that's assuming a lot because you know Georgia Southern's going to be a tough matchup for them, especially if they're shooting the ball. But you know ULM, as shorthanded as they are, they were still ahead by like six or eight points. You know, late first half last night, even though Georgia Southern had like an eighteen to three advantage on scoring off turnovers. We're talking with Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the Raging Cajuns ESPN Plus play-by-play man. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to the Diamond. Baseball team uh, lost the midweek game to McNeese. Uh, they tried to rally, scoring two runs in the eighth, two runs in the ninth, fell just short of being their old I-10 rival. And now they'll come home for a three-game set against Campbell. And I know a lot of folks that maybe don't pay attention to college baseball go, Campbell? What's Campbell? Well, they're an NCAA regional team from a year ago. That's who they are. And that's another quality opponent. Are we going to learn a lot more about Matt Deggs' team uh, this weekend facing a team uh, of the caliber of Campbell? Uh, I think we will. I think Campbell's the best team they've played so far without question. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about teams, if you come the last four years, the Big South Conference where Campbell is counting regular season and tournament titles as two different things, Big, uh, Campbell's won seven out of eight of those. I mean, now, is the Big South as good top to bottom as the Sun Belt is? I don't think that they are. But still, you win that many championships, it's almost like you get used to winning. They are used to, to winning games. They won 41 of them last year. And they've already gotten a couple of quality wins this year. I mean, they beat Campbell beat a very, very good East Carolina team. Uh, another team that is used to being in the NCAA tournament and hosting NCAA tournaments. Uh, I think this is a really good team. They're hitting like 330 as a team. You know, the question is their pitching staff. Uh, they lost a lot of guys on their pitching, and you know, can the Cajuns take advantage? I think if they come out and start swinging the bats like they did at times against uh, Brigham Young and like they did at times against Rice, uh, I think it's going to be a fun series. Uh, but but they're going to have to swing the bat some. Uh, they're going to have to have some guys who have struggled this year. I mean, Max Marshak is off to a slow start. Will Veyon's off to a slow start. They're going to need those guys to get rolling, not just this weekend, but going forward if they're going to have you know the kind of success that they really can have. I got to see the Rage Cajun softball team again on Monday, and they they were on the verge of beating Ole Miss in you know normal time. Things went a little sideways. They were able to pull out, gut out a, a win, even when they didn't play their best, Dan. Uh, what's your biggest question mark still about Jerry Glasgow's team who's playing in the Longhorn Invitational this this weekend? Well, I think my question is, you know, the one that a lot of people thought when they looked at the schedule is, can they hit against high, high-level pitching, um, you know, they, they've done it in the past, but can they do it on a consistent basis? Now, how many teams in the country do that? You, know, you can probably count them on one hand, but, but that's what they're going to have to do. There, there's a reason that I mean, I'm betting you that they asked in this weekend's tournament. You know, they play five games over there. They play three teams once, including McNeese in the first one. I think they probably asked if they could play Texas twice. You know, I think that they wanted to play that high-level competition again, just like they've done – you know, all the way, you know, nobody, maybe only one other team in that whole tournament in Clearwater played four teams ranked in the top eight. You know, they wanted that kind of competition. 
you know, I think it will get them ready for postseason. A lot of people say get yourself ready for conference play. They're not. They're getting ready for the postseason. They're doing that already. The conference play, you know, is just uh, that. That's their. That's their avenue to get there. Uh, you know, but you know, they also have a, a pretty decent McNeese team in the first round, and you can't look past them and look toward Texas. But they've got to hit and hit consistently. I think their pitching has been a surprise. I think it's been pretty good. I think it's been better than maybe they thought it would be against high-level competition, especially the ones that hadn't pitched a lot. Uh, I think Chloe Riosetto has been a surprise. But but I think the big thing is they've got to hit and hit with consistency. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your busy weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Always my pleasure. I appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. After quarterback, what is the biggest position of need for the New Orleans Saints? Right now, 44% of you say running back. 35% say defensive tackle. 11% say guard and 10% say other. Let's get to some additional comments. Who Dat Forever says, anyone who says anything other than D-line is a casual football fan who doesn't understand the game. Hell, it might be a bigger need than quarterback. They were absolutely awful last year. Uh, they weren't they they weren't great they were not great you gotta love the you don't know ball take at <laughs> seven thirty in the morning <laughs> look I, I think they have they have a couple of key positions of need and i think they can address them all in the draft i, I don't even know if they really need to get crazy with it and try to address it in free agency to be honest with you you can get you a quality defensive tackle there at the end of the first round. You can get you an offensive guard in the second round or a running back in the second round. You know, they have some nice pieces. They just have to address interior of their offensive line, in particular left guard. They have to get a serviceable quarterback, another running back, and a D tackle. I mean, that's what I think it really boils down to. And they can address all of those needs via the draft. And maybe they go out and add someone in free agency. Okay, maybe they go get a veteran at running back. Maybe they try to go get themselves another veteran at, say, maybe defensive tackle to help shore that up. I don't think that would be a bad approach. But they're going to have the abilities to be able to do all of these things. They truly are. Blaine has commented again on Facebook, says, I've been saying best available at every pick, need to get talented and young at a bunch of different positions. Richie Brown's answer to the poll question, which once again is, after quarterback, what's the biggest position of need for the Saints? Running back, D-tackle, guard, or other? Our guy Richie says, yes. <laughs> That's an efficient comment. And one of you just says, they need all of the above. But I think they can do that. I think they're going to get, look, 
the the amount of edge rushers that is projected to be in the first round this year, there's a wealth of them. There's more than likely that's going to cause there to be a run on edge rushers, which means, I believe, a quality starting defensive tackle, a quality starting offensive guard, and a quality starting running back is just going to simply fall to the Saints at 29. They're not going to have to get crazy. They're not going to have to trade up and mortgage their future. They're going to have a really great player going to fall to them. And I think they're going to have another one fall to them at 40. If they stay pat at 29 and 40, they're going to be able to get two starters right there that are going to fall to them that typically would probably be drafted earlier. But because we have so many teams that are desperate for quarterbacks, they are going to go far higher than they need to. And we're going to have a run on edge rushers. And you're going to have quality players just going to fall right into the Saints' lap this year. That's what it feels like to me. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter as well. Two hours in the books, final hour of today and of the week coming up. We're going to kick it off with talking with Ryan and Kelly Bro of Redbird Ministries. That's going to be next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The final hour of today's show and the final hour of the week has arrived here in RP3 and Company. Coming up half an hour from right now, Connor O'Gara, our old friend from Saturday Down South. Spring football begins next week, by the way. We'll get a preview of all that in concerning the SEC with Connor joining us in a half hour from right now. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Besides quarterback, what's the biggest position of need for the New Orleans Saints that they can address during the draft? Is it running back, defensive tackle? Is it guard or is it other? Go vote and make sure to leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. And, of course, we're broadcasting live this morning from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Joining us now inside the Evco Development Studios, we have two very special guests, Ryan and Kelly Bro of Redbird Ministries. You've heard us talk about the ministries because we're holding a charity golf scramble coming up in just a few weeks at Farm Dialy that's going to benefit. All the proceeds are going to go towards the ministries. And to tell us a little bit more about their mission, about the genesis of Redbird Ministries, of course, are our next guests, Ryan and Kelly. Good morning. Welcome to the game. Good morning. Good morning. So, let me ask you this. Uh, we'll get into the tournament. We'll get into what you guys do. That Just just tell me a little bit about Redbird Ministries. What is uh, the mission, and uh, what do you guys primarily do with Redbird Ministries? Yeah, so Redbird Ministries started in 2018, and our mission is to serve ordinary families that uh, have an extraordinary cross to carry called child loss. So we serve from pregnancy loss all the way through adulthood. So after a family loses a child, Redbird Ministries steps in and we provide peer-to-peer support. We also do referrals, so if they need 
therapy, grief therapy, spiritual direction. Um, we also offer events like couples workshops, retreats. Um, we have programs, uh, books, studies, things that families can continue on their journey. We also have an app um, that families can stay connected to in a community. But in 2018, when we started um, locally in Louisiana, in Lafayette, um, it was just because we had experienced um, at that time three losses and we didn't have the support that we needed. And, um, you know, God had just asked us to do something with our, our healing and um, Redbird Ministries was born. You know, uh, your your own personal journey with this obviously is, is part of the genesis of uh, your own personal loss. Uh, you guys experienced this. So many people, when they deal with their own grief, kind of go inside themselves, uh, kind of shut themselves off. I'm sure there were moments and stretches that you guys did that and probably maybe even still do. Uh, how much has Redbird Ministries been part for, for you guys to, to help others not to be so alone? So I can tell you as a man, um, men growing up, our dads, our, you know, we were taught when we fall, just get up and rub it off and don't cry. Men don't cry. So um, when we were going through our... Uh, our grief, our, we call it our dark, our dark years. Um, we really, um, you could tell that um, that I lost my train of thought. Um, can you? I think yeah, I think what you were trying to say, like you just really didn't know like what to do. Like Ryan was so focused on yes. trying to help me to fix me that he kind of yes. just you know he was action oriented which most men are uh women talk more and um but he was trying he was so focused on my well-being that he didn't really see about himself so it was it was easier for him to not to to deal with it to kind of like retreat like we say retreat in the workshop that's natural but but that's such a natural and just human element about this and with a married couple i know from my own personal experience uh, my wife and I are very blessed. We we have our daughter. She'll be nine this year. But before then, uh, we had a uh, we lost a, a child during pregnancy early, early on, and we were told that we were not going to be able to have children. Wow. And I spent so much time focusing on her, and then she tried to focus in on me. Mm-hmm. And 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 the other thing is that when you have a loss you become so isolated because the other part of this is that people struggle to know how to deal with someone who's going through grief mm-hmm. and they, they mean well, but sometimes they just don't know how to, to connect with you or how to talk to you or, or just yeah. try to even bring up the subject, right? Yeah. They, they try to avoid them. They're like, Hey, let's talk about the weather. Yeah. Or, hey, <laughs> Hey, your grass looks really great. Yeah. What, are you, what yeah. are you using? Right? So with Redbird ministries, you're giving families, that opportunity to talk to other people and to have people be able to actually prop them up that know what they're going through, right? I mean, that's the other thing is that this is a great resource for whether they're uh, whether they're uh, the wife or the husband. It really doesn't matter. They can talk to it because a lot of times as well, a husband may not know how to talk to his wife about yeah. what's happened. Yeah. yeah, men and women grieve so differently. Um, you know, the way that our brain is designed 
is differently. And there's science behind communication and the way that men and women communicate. So, of course, there's going to be a difference in the way that they grieve. And a lot of times when men and women don't, like when a husband and a wife doesn't know this, um, it's hard to have compassion for the other person because you feel like, well, they don't get me. They don't, they don't understand. Um, so one of the things like with our couples workshop is that we do, we like educate people on the way that their spouse is going to grieve differently. And so that, that, that couple can have more compassion for one another and to carry their cross together instead of trying to do it separately. Um, and that was something that we learned. We didn't know. And it, a lot of times it caused a lot of fights because I'm like, well, what do you mean? You don't understand. Like, didn't we lose the same child? Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, there's definitely so many, so many factors that can just further tear the family apart. And then guilt comes in, mm-hmm. right? Because you may be having a good day and you, you've kept your mind off of your grief and your partner hasn't. Mm-hmm. And then you feel guilty about that because you see your partner hurting him, but then you're like, wow, I, I was, man, I, I don't want to be in that space. I don't want to have to be yeah. dealing with my grief right now, but yeah. yet my wife or my husband, they're going through that. How can I help them? It, it is, uh, it's, it's a challenging situation for any married couple. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, early on, I would, I would pray all the way to work, cry and, and cause I didn't want her to see me cry, Yeah. you know, cause she may have been having a good day and then she saw me cry and it made her have a bad day. So it kind of just kept my emotions real inside, real trapped up. And, uh, and it just formed a wedge between mm-hmm. us, our marriage. And it was nothing we were doing. It was our grief that, mm-hmm. that were just yeah. were so emoted into our grief. So, and, and, and rightfully so, because, yeah. yeah. and that's how I was at. We're talking with uh, Ryan and Kelly, uh, bro. They are the couple behind Redbird Ministries and uh, they're here joining us here on RP3 and Company. All right, l- let's talk about, you know, you have so many programs that can help those uh, people. Uh, what's it been like and what's the growth been like with Redbird Ministries since you launched it, I guess, what, five years ago? Yeah, so in 2018, we started just at our home parish at St. Bernard in Brobridge. And we, uh, we did a couples workshop. We did some grief groups and just kind of was trying to figure out um, how how do we how do you do grief ministry there was no like program in the box and so I was frustrated by that because a lot of the things that you can do like now like you you can buy a program and like implement it at yes. your, par- your church parish or wherever into support like there's someone else who's done like all the work to think through all the things you need to think through that did not exist and so we began to put things together just for our own little small group. And um, I really felt like God was asking us to share this because there was no program um, that specifically helped couples who had lost a child. There was, you know, programs that could help if you lost a spouse. There was, a prog- there was programs that could uh, help if you lost anyone. But the way that we ex- you know, explain it, if you lose a parent or grandparent or a friend, you lose your past. But when you lose your child, you lose your future. And it's a different type of loss. Um, it's harder to accept. Um, many times people face the, that same thing like you, like there's a possibility you can't have another child. So sometimes people lose their fertility. 
it's so complicated. It's so complex. There's so many layers behind it. Lose their faith a little yep. bit too. Yeah, yeah, de- yeah, that definitely happened to us. Yeah. We uh, we yeah. spent four years away from the church, and that's why kind of it was for us. It felt that God was asking us specifically to do something to connect people back to Him. And so a lot of what we do, uh, it's centered around our faith. It's it's our our primary focus uh, is to help people to heal, you know, with God. And and I, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to assume, but I would assume this whole process in dealing and having Redbird Ministries and helping other people has also helped you with your own grief process oh, as yes. well. Yes, absolutely. It's made sense of a lot of things that I was like, why did we do those things? Because <laughs> you exactly. have to like explain it and, and help people flesh out their own. Like, why is that help? You know, why did that happen? But your own personal journey and some of the things that, you know, maybe some of the missteps that you did along the way, that can actually help someone that's yes. starting on that journey themselves. And you can help them avoid the same things that, that happen with yeah. you two. Um, let's talk a little bit about the charity golf uh, scramble that uh, we're having here with the game. Courtesy Bro Bridge is serving as a sponsor as well, uh, and that's going to be helping raising funds for Redbird Ministries. Talk a little bit about being able to put on this event at Farm Alley in a few weeks, and what does that mean for Redbird Ministries and uh, what that can do, what you guys can be able to do with the money raised from the charity golf scramble. Awesome. So it's Monday, uh, March 20th at Forum D. Alley. Thanks to Courtesy who sponsored the event. Um, You can sign up on our website and also on the game at redbird.love. And all the funds and the proceeds go towards helping families. So part of what we do is serve directly with the family. And then we also train leaders uh, across the country to be able to do this. Uh, in their community as well, which ultimately impacts other families of loss too. So, uh, all the proceeds will go towards helping. And it's a great event. You get to have fun. We've been promoting it here on the station. You get to have a great day of golf. Um, I promise both of you um, that I will not embarrass uh, the station or you <laughs> and Redbird Ministries. Um, thankfully, I will be regulated to just uh, putting. Um, from like three inches away from the hole <laughs> for everyone that comes through for the team. So I, I've, I've been regulated to that, and that's probably a wise decision. But um, thank you for both of you for what you're doing in the community with Redbird Ministries. Thank you so much for your time today. And I can't wait to see what the turnout is, and I can't wait to see what you guys are going to be able to do for those in need moving forward. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, you so much. That's Ryan and Kelly Bro of Redbird Ministries. Once again, the Game Golf Charity uh, Scramble presented by Bro, uh, courtesy Bro Bridge. That's coming up. Make sure to go register. You want to find out more information, go check out 1037thegame.com. There will be a link to take you to go register. Get your foursome together today to take part in a great day of golf and giving. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Poll question of the day. After quarterback, what's the biggest position of need for the New Orleans Saints? Right now, 44% of you say running back. 37% say defensive tackle. 10% say guard. 9% say other. You know, for me, I think I think running back and defensive tackle are kind of on the same page, and, and that's because of the looming suspension of Kamara. If Alvin wasn't facing what he was facing, I'd say D-tackle is number one, and it's not even close. But I think with Kamara's suspension and really no one else on the roster that you trust, I think running back has to be the other number one priority. So maybe it's what Dawson, I think maybe it's, I think it would be, I, I think it'd be okay to say 1A, 1B, 1A being defensive tackle, 1B being running back. I think that would be fair. That's fine. And and from a needs approach, I agree. I just think the the methods to uh, attacking those needs are different, and that's why I would prioritize the defensive tackle spot. With the it's first harder to find a starting defensive tackle. Yeah, so it's not in to the say, draft than it is a running back. Yeah, for me, it's not to Absolutely. say that that you need the defensive tackle more than you need the running back. I just think it's you know more difficult to find. So therefore, I think it should have priority when you're talking about the moves they're going to make in the offseason in order to give themselves the best chance to be set up to win, which, again, like I, I feel like I'm crazy, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I've got black and gold glasses on a little bit. I just don't think this team's as far away as, as some people think they are. I understand that, look, Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael have to be better coaches, but, like, yes. who's to say they're not going to get better? I think people, like, again, I'm not the Pete Carmichael, you know, supporter. I would have been fine if they'd have went in another direction, but... I think it's fair to expect him to improve year one to year two as a play caller, just like you would expect a rookie wide receiver or quarterback or defensive lineman to improve year one to year two. That's fair. And I, I, I can sign on on that. And look, the, the division's wide open, right? That's the other part of this. So even if they weren't that far away from winning the division this year, Bad coaching, bad preparation, and some bad moments by a kicker and a running back. You probably win the division, right? Now, you're not going to look great doing it, but you, you'd you still win the division. So, look, you figure out quarterback, even if it's a minor upgrade over Andy Dalton. Like, okay, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, where, where would you put how Andy played quarterback this last year? Just Just give me a number. Like a four, and that's what he's been his whole career. So, so, like, I don't... so on a scale of one to ten, he was a four. Yeah, maybe a five in his better moments. Like he's exactly what so, you think he is. Okay, right? that's okay. Let's say Andy Dalton was he was a five, a five out of ten. If you find a quarterback who's a six and a six and a half, you're a playoff team. And I think right. I mean, that's that, that's what we're talking right. about and here. Derek Carr is exactly that. He's a six to a six and a half. And there maybe, you go. Maybe up to a seven, seven and a half in his best years. Like that's what he is. So if you can get the car deal done, everything else is going to present to you because then you don't have to worry about drafting a quarterback, which I think would be a terrible idea. I know Saints fans. Apparently, there was some sort of group chat that I wasn't privy to about everyone falling in love with Hendon Hooker and thinking that he's going to be the savior of the franchise. Okay, guy's 25 years old in a system that is very favorable to that style of offense with Josh Heupel. He's coming off a reconstructed knee. I'm just saying. And I'm not really in love with any of the quarterbacks, maybe Stroud more than anyone of, of who's going to be coming at. 
So you take care of Carr. If you get Derek, then you can sit there and go, okay, at 29, we're going to take the best defensive tackle available. And I, I believe this, and I heard Kevin talk about it the other day, and I am in total agreement. I think there's going to be a run on pass rushers because there's so many good ones, or at least projected good pass rushers. Let's use that because all these prospects are all projected to be good at the next level. It doesn't mean they will be. So let's make sure to have that disclaimer. You can get you a starting defensive tackle at 29. You can get you a starting offensive guard at 40. That's how I would do it. Now, I know not everyone would do it that way. If you get Derek Carr, I'm taking D tackle at 29. I'm taking offensive guard at 40. And then when we get to the third round, hey, is there a good running back there that I can take with 71? Great. Hey, maybe there's a good linebacker I can take there because Demario Davis isn't getting any younger. Maybe I can get me a linebacker. Maybe I can get me another safety there. Look how good Elante Taylor was this year. And he's a hybrid, I know, but maybe you get you another wide receiver there. So you take care of line of scrimmage at 29 and 40. You already got your quarterback. Well, now it's just best player available time. Yeah, you mentioned receiver, and you were getting on me the other day that I was behind on my draft prep. So I'm getting, I started putting in a little bit (laughs) for you. Here it comes. A guy I like that, you know, depending on the uh, ranking service of your choosing, he's a little bit up and down, but he's nowhere near the top of people's boards. A guy like A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. He's a guy who I got to see firsthand when they came to uh, Tallahassee and beat Florida State. Uh, 6'5", big body receiver, had over 1,000 receiving yards and he's 11 good. touchdowns He looks the year. part. He looks the part. And he's not going to be a first-round guy. No, so that's that's the type of thing. I think when you get to the – I think those first two picks should be probably served on, you know, the defensive line and the running back position, as you mentioned. So you're not going to probably be in the market for a guy like Quentin Johnson, who's probably going to be the maybe the first right. receiver, second receiver taken. Um, but A.T. Perry's a guy – you talk about that size, that physically – gifted size type guy that the Saints are looking for, especially if Michael Thomas isn't going to be in the fold. A.T. Perry's a guy. Rasheed Rice, we've already talked about a little bit from SMU, is another guy. There's some guys to be found down the board here that I really like, and I think that's something you see with the wide receiver position, right? You don't have to spend a first-round pick to get a potential impact player at that spot. So that's somewhere, you know, when you start to look at those later picks that the Saints have, and of course it depends on, you know, how other teams feel about him, if he gets taken earlier than you expect him to or not, but there's some guys, in, and specifically at wide receiver, that's kind of been where my deep dive has been early on in my uh, draft preparation. I really like some of these receivers, especially some of the big guys in the middle to late rounds. i tell you a guy that I like that I think would do really well with the Saints is Mazzy Smith from Michigan, the big D tackle. Now, he, he, he will probably more than likely still be there, so maybe you could get him in the second round. But there's some really quality players – that you can get there I think the Kansi kid out of Pittsburgh based on what he ran the other day right didn't he have a a, a ridiculous like the fastest D tackle 40 time in like 10 years or something crazy yeah you're never gonna see me jumping up and down about combine results but I do know that the Saints look I don't care how fast a defensive lineman runs by the way yeah well and you know it more maybe speaks to his overall athleticism now but let's remember the Saints they used, you know, in their previous, especially in their previous administration, at least head coaching-wise, they loved that kind of the freak score, they've called it, right? The athletic metrics, and that's, look, yeah. that's what led them to take Marcus Davenport, Import. Peyton Turner, and yes. others. So, not to say that it would be my personal way of evaluating talent, but the Saints have shown, and look, they've had success doing that as well. Let's not act like they've struck out using those metrics. They've found some guys that way, and 
that so maybe a guy like that is someone they value because he ranks higher on their kind of you know athleticism rankings. I tell you who I like a lot and would be my preferred choice if I was drafting for the Saints. Once again, I'm not a Saints fan. I'm just looking at this objectively. The kid out of Baylor. That kid is a monster. He is six. You're not going to attempt to say the name, master of the English language here. <laughs> uh, Ika, the last name. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's I. You know, I've heard Ika and Ika. I need a. I need a fully confirm. Maybe, maybe I can hear something of him. He saying is his own name. old school nose tackle. Six foot four, three fifty eight. Plop him on that Saints defensive line. Done. Like that's a guy that's going to take on double teams and gladly do so. Like, so that's what I would do. Once again, if we're playing GM, if I'm Mickey Loomis, I go. Dennis Allen, I'm going to shore up your defensive line. I'm taking this kid out of Baylor at number 29. DA, don't worry. I know you're worried about Andres Pete being washed up garbage, or as RP3 says on RP3 and Company, Pondwater, because that's his nickname, because like Pondwater, he doesn't move. Great in the run game, terrible in pass protection. Go get you a guard. Done. Now your line of scrimmage is taken care of. Teams are built from the inside out. Signed Eric Carr. Draft a D-tackle in round one. Draft you an offensive lineman in, in round two. Now you've shored up those two things. You can find a running back in round three or four. Take care of it. Go get you another wide receiver. And done. There you go. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You'll hear me talk about this on the show a lot, is how I believe in investing in infrastructure. It's something that the city of New Orleans maybe hasn't done too, too much. <laughs> no, they have but the New Orleans well. Saints franchise has has done a pretty good job of, and that's I went back to the way Dallas did it. I loved how they kind of stacked their offensive line. Now, it didn't work out for them because they didn't always put the peripheral pieces together. Well, poor coaching, too, in right. Dallas. But, but one thing I time. did want to bring up about that, and we'll, we won't have time to get fully into it, but it's something I want to talk about throughout the offseason. There's been some success from other teams doing it the other way around. Specifically, Cincinnati's the one I think about. They kind of built from the outside in when you think about it. They went out and got the number 1 receiver, got the star quarterback, and then they rushed to patchwork the offensive line. Now... Maybe it wasn't the right way to do it because they've had you know some injury concerns. But with their Joe quarterback is special, and he's hit. Like, right? That and so is Jamar. The, right, I'm saying those guys are few and far between. And that's why I think if you don't have those top end draft picks, we've heard what was it the Buffalo GM say? I don't want to be in position to take the best receiver in the class because that means we were bad the year before. Correct. So when you're not picking at the very very top, I think it's 100 percent essential to invest in the infrastructure and then build your team around it after that. Any possibility Jalen Carter, because of the off-the-field thing, falls to them at 29? I don't think so. I don't think it falls that far. Especially, I mean, well, he came out yesterday and denied, um, you know, wrongdoing, essentially said he, he felt he was And he went back to the Combine. Like, he went and got bonded out and then went back to India yeah, no, and, and did so, interviews, which I liked, by the way. You know, look, we'll, we'll see what happens with the legal process there. I don't want to speculate on that. But from, from the early indications, it, it doesn't seem like this is going to be like some long, drawn-out criminal proceeding with him, and, and maybe it, it gets resolved sooner rather than later, but... We will see. I think I think maybe he falls, but if he if I don't think he's falling past the top ten. Okay, I I, I agree with you. I agree with you. We gotta take a timeout. When we return, we'll look ahead to spring football. Yeah, it's beginning next week. Believe it or not, we'll get a look at what's the big question marks for teams in the SEC with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I know what you're thinking. RP3. My man, we're in the middle of getting ready for the NCAA tournament, college baseball season here. Opening day for MLB is going to be later this month. Why are you bringing on Connor O'Gara to talk about football in the SEC? Well, because spring football begins, wait for it, next week. That's right, next week. And there's no person I'd rather talk to to talk about the burning questions involving SEC programs heading into spring football than our guy Connor O'Gare from Saturday Down South. Connor, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. I, you know, I've been told that there is a, a sport that has an orange round ball. Uh, I've <laughs> not really heard of it. Uh, I'd like to maybe maybe experience it one day. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, yeah, the only sport that I that I really dig into. Uh, is is the pigskin. But no, I mean, in all honesty, we are doing a great job covering all things college basketball at SaturdayDownSouth.com, and myself personally, I'm contributing to that coverage. But yes, I mean, let's be honest here, football moves the needle. It does. It does move the needle, my friend. So I, I want to dive in because I think there's a lot of interesting scenarios, a lot of interesting questions facing the majority of the teams in the SEC. And I, I want to start with the defending champs. Uh, another stellar campaign. They put together an, nearly an entire roster of NFL players last year. They'll do it again this this offseason with the draft. What's the big question marks that you have heading into spring ball for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, it's who's going to win this quarterback battle, and specifically, how is it going to look with Mike Bobo at the controls? I, I thought that Todd Munkin for my money, was the best assistant hire of the playoff era. I thought he got Georgia over that hump. If you go back to that LSU SEC championship in 2019, Kirby Smart having the realization that he needed to change offensively, and Todd Munkin allowed them to do that. And honestly, like I, I think that Georgia fans are a little bit too naive in thinking that Mike Bobo is just going to automatically be able to replicate all the great schemes that we saw from Todd Munkin and how difficult this Georgia offense really be, really was to defend. And so I'm interested to see what it looks like in the post-Stetson-Bennett era, wherein we're going to see a quarterback battle that's pretty atypical. I mean, Carson Beck would be the leader in the clubhouse, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, of course, vying for that starting job as well. Pretty rare to have three homegrown blue-chip guys, guys that necess- weren't necessarily transfers or anything like that. I mean, this is kind of a little bit more of an old-fashioned quarterback battle, but we should get some pretty good insight. I think Carson Beck's going to be the guy. I'm pretty high on him after what we saw from him in a limited sample size last year. But how does it look running the Mike Bobo offense, which uh, has had some very different results, I think, in the SEC over the last decade? Let's stay in the East. Billy Napier had, uh, let's be honest, a bit of a rough year and really a rough start to the offseason as well there at Florida what's your uh what are you most intrigued about seeing from the Gators in uh, Gainesville there for spring football oh man uh tough times 
Tough times. Look, I, I, I really like the, the hire itself. And, and I think that there are still ways in which Napier can, can figure this thing out. But, man, the optics after year one, they're not good. And, and going into year two, this is the time when you're supposed to be kind of building momentum. And, okay, we saw this play out. We saw this. You got a lot more help from a recruiting standpoint. And instead, the Jaden Rashada fallout happened. We also saw three Florida assistants leave for the NFL on a two-day stretch at a very atypical time in the hiring cycle. The Anthony Richardson thing, man, if you thought he was going to be one and done as a starter, you thought that it would at least lead to more wins, that you'd see more offensive consistency. That didn't happen, but he's still gone to the NFL. And then meanwhile, your quarterback situation right now is Jack Miller, who's a total unknown and didn't really get to see much of him at all except for the bowl game this past year and then uh, Graham Mertz like that's it I mean Florida needed guys last year at this time last year Billy Napier was banging the drum that they needed to be more active at the transfer portal and that's still kind of the mantra right now and so if you're if you're of the belief that Billy Napier who I know that you guys know in your neck of the woods very well if you're of the belief that this is a given that he's going to turn things around man I'm looking at this going Yikes. I, I don't think that they're where they need to be in year two in order to feel like a significant improvement is imminent. Can the South Carolina Gamecocks, after the way they ended the season, could we see them take a Tennessee size jump this year? You know, I'm not willing to say that just yet because I think what Tennessee did, I mean, going 11 and 2 and winning a New Year's Six Bowl with the number one offense in the country. Like, I was high on the balls last year. I had them going 9-3 and three and beating Georgia, and I thought I was, like, sipping the orange Kool-Aid a little bit too much. And they, they surpassed even my wildest of expectations. So I say that because I, I have great respect for what Tennessee just did in beating Alabama, obviously, and beating LSU like a drum in Death Valley. But I, I think that South Carolina is more in a position to show that its floor is higher than what we previously realized. I still have some questions about them in the trenches. I think that's the area that they really need to be able to address. And they have some big-time defensive questions to answer. They lose Cam Smith to the NFL, who was just a stud lockdown corner. Jordan Birch is off to the transfer portal. He transferred to Oregon. They lose Zach Pickens on the defensive line as well to the NFL. So, like, I think they have some questions that they need to answer. And, obviously, you know, the Dow Loggins hire was pretty atypical. I, I thought South Carolina fans felt pretty underwhelmed by it because he was just a tight ends coach at Arkansas. But, obviously, he's worked – with the likes of Jay Cutler and Connor Shaw, and that bodes really well for potentially being able to work with Spencer Rattler and see that connection develop with Juice Wells as it was so good down the stretch. But, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that South Carolina can take that kind of a jump, but obviously you beat Clemson, you beat Tennessee, you feel good about where that program's at with Shane Beamer. What do you expect uh, from Tennessee? They lose a lot, especially playmakers on offense, but do you think Josh Heupel's team is not going to skip a beat? I think they're going to skip a beat. I think they're going to skip a beat slightly. And I think they deserve to start off in the top 10. So I, I'm I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. But the Joe Milton dynamic is is fascinating because, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people about this. And I was talking to Alex Golish about this a couple of weeks ago. Who Alex Golish was Tennessee's offensive coordinator, their primary play caller. He now, of course, is the head coach at USF. And one of the things that he said was Joe Milton a year and a half ago he wasn't a very good quarterback and he was the best practice quarterback they had ever seen when he won that starting job out of camp in the first year of the Josh Heupel era. 
but he has really, really worked to develop to become that elite guy and understand the process of decision-making and knowing that he doesn't have to do it all himself. And so if he's the guy that we saw against Clemson, even against Vandy, where I thought he made some really good decisions, then that's a game-changer, obviously. But can they get enough on the defensive side of the ball with Tim Banks running that, that side it, to be able to show that they can be more consistent, at least you know, not to have the games like they did against South Carolina, where it was just a total disaster. Even against Alabama, they really struggled. But I, I think that you know, being able to show that you have an eight and four type of floor, that's what this year is really important. Before they ultimately are able to pass the baton to Nico Yamaliava, their their stud five star guy who is you know number two quarterback in the class, number three number number three overall. So I think that's kind of the bigger question for Tennessee is just showing that they have that floor with Josh Heupel. We're talking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. He joins us here in RP3 and Company as we look ahead to spring football, which begins next week. Alabama didn't get to the playoff this year, rightfully so. And now they have to replace Bryce Young and Mr. Anderson and probably a couple other studs. How intriguing is what the Crimson Tide are going to do in spring football under Saban? I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot of answers to some key questions because I expect this quarterback battle to, to play out. And I, I ultimately think Ty Simpson's going to win it. I don't think it's going to be Jalen Milrow. I think it's going to be Ty Simpson. Um, just because I don't necessarily think that Milrow showed enough in his time filling in for Bryce Young that that he is ready to be that guy. I think his pocket presence is still kind of lacking as evidenced by the fact that A&M had three different strip sacks in a game that Alabama almost lost at home to a pretty lifeless A&M team. So, you know, I I look at this and I I wonder, well, what are we going to see from Tommy Reese, the new offensive coordinator who comes in with some scrutiny from Notre Dame? I I thought Alabama fans were pretty underwhelmed by Bill O'Brien's replacement there. So what's the new offense going to look like? Is Alabama going to get back to a little bit more of its traditional run the ball, be a little bit more predictable and understanding that you don't necessarily have to throw the football 40 times a game to be able to win. But, you know, what are they going to look like there? And what does Kevin Steele look like? I mean, Kevin Steele as the defensive coordinator once upon a time, that, that was money in the bank and a lot has changed in the last three years. And I think he's looking to rebuild his career and probably stave off Jeremy Pruitt, who many are expecting to be the future defensive coordinator at Alabama. So I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot of questions to those important things in the spring, but it does feel like a spring with a lot of unknowns for an Alabama team that obviously lost so much talent and is coming off of a rare year in which it lost multiple regular season games. We'll wrap it up with this. Brian Kelly, far exceeded expectations in year number one 10 wins and a bowl victory in the sec west title lots of guys are coming back from that team had another good recruiting class what's the one thing that you're the most curious about the tigers as spring football kicks off next week yeah are are we going to see harold perkins kind of moved around a little bit are are they going to experiment with him even more is he going to be moved into the middle like he's, you know, Devin White, or is that kind of the plan for him, or are they going to kind of keep him on the edge? Because he played both. I mean, they really got to that place, and Brian Kelly's talked about this. You know, they they got to a place where they're like, we just need to get this guy in the field any way, shape, or form. And even if that's kind of making him an edge rusher who also spies the quarterback, then let's do that. But what's, what's kind of the plan for him? What does it look like? Now with Matt House in this defense, are they able to kind of find the right formula for a guy that is 
so unbelievably talented and is one of the most exciting players in college football already. What is the plan for him to be able to thrive in this defense? And are we going to see him used in more ways? Because I think his instincts are second to none. And there are some things that he already does that you just cannot teach. And if you don't believe that, go back and watch what he did to Malik Hornsby, who gets the edge about just, uh, he gets the edge about every single time that he, that he wants to as a rushing quarterback, but wasn't able to do so against Harold Perkins in that game against Arkansas. So I'm excited to see kind of what LSU does with Perkins. And I hope that he is able to have, you know, a, a career that, isn't necessarily similar to Derek Stingley where it felt like year one was really the peak of it and year two, year three, it fell off. And fortunately, Harold Perkins should have more stability around him and not changing coordinators and schemes and all those different things. So I'm looking forward to seeing what exactly those plans are for him in the next few weeks. Connor, appreciate the time as always, brother. Hope you have a tremendous weekend and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Sounds good. Appreciate it, man. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, we here at the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station know you love our shenanigans on and off the air, and we want to help you help us. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. And turn that bell on so you can get notifications when we post new content and game recaps. Help us get to 1,000 followers and see more of our fun behind the scenes and after work mischief. Man, you won't believe what D'Lo does around here uh, when he's off the air. Go find that at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. That's at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, talking all things Astros, Dan McDonald. ESPN Plus play-by-play man for Raging Cajuns, Ryan Bro and Kelly Bro from Redbird Ministries, and Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. We had a poll question of the day. After quarterback, what is the biggest position of need for the Saints? 42% of you say running back, 39% say defensive tackle, 10% say guard, 9% say other. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments, like T. Wirtz, who said, all of the above and more with an average age of 26.8, 29th in the league. Yeah, you could get, you could use to get a little younger, but as I said before, and I know this is not the sexy thing to say when we ramp up for the draft, I understand that. But if I was Mickey Loomis and Dennis Allen, draft day comes, and I've already taken care of quarterback, number 29, Best D-tackle available. Hopefully, it'd be the kid from Baylor because he is a monster. Old school nose tackle. Draft him in the first round. Use pick number 40 to take an offensive guard to replace Andres Pete to shore up your offensive line. Now, both lines of scrimmage have been taken care of. And then after that, it is Lanyep time. Best running back available in round three. Best wide receiver available. Best safety. Whatever you want to do there to help build up depth, you can Take care of line of scrimmage, round one, round two is how I would do it. I know it's not sexy. I know people are going to groan when the picks come in. 
But that's how you win. That's how you build up teams, especially if you don't have a special generational quarterback like Joe Burrow. Good job today, bud. I'm not talking to the listeners. I'm talking to you, D'Lo. Appreciate that. Not a problem. I'm <clears throat> just working on. I felt, I, felt, I felt like you needed that. I felt like you needed a little pick-me-up. No, here I, feel, I feel good today. Today, I look, I, I got a little more sleep than I, than I had been getting last night. Came in go. with energy. I hope I brought that to the show. Felt like I did. You delivered. So, you delivered. Yeah, we're getting a big weekend for me ahead, and uh, we'll be back on Monday better than ever. Better than ever. That's right. We'll be back on Monday from 6 to 9. Maybe we'll be broadcasting live from Pensacola. Maybe not. We'll find out depending on what the Cajuns do. But no matter what, we'll be there. Until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.